This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back to the show. Today, we have another Q&A. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the questions. All right, first question we have is, general question, if you have a nutrition client and her weight hasn't changed much, how many weeks of no weight loss before a plateau? Just a couple. I'm starting to wonder if there is a thyroid issue, but this is out of my scope of practice. All right, so First and foremost, this is why within nutrition coaching, it's so important to track multiple metrics. So with all of my online clients, we have this whole hierarchy of things that are a whole hierarchy of questions that we work through to determine whether fat loss has stalled and to tell us if this is really the problem. Because 95% of the time, um, it's not a thyroid issue. It's not a... um, issue of metabolic adaptation, meaning you need to decrease calories to actually get her to lose. It's more often than not an like some form of human error within measurement. So first and foremost, we ask, are body measurements decreasing? So I have my online clients take multiple measurements every single week, along with weight at least three times a week. So I would also say like, is she weighing herself at least three times a week? Because the reality is if she's just weighing herself once a week, you could see a lot of upward and downward fluctuations across the course of that week. But if she just weighing herself once a week, she could very well like, okay, it's every Monday and I go out and I eat more like sodium dense foods. Um, I drink a bit more Friday night and weight is always like a little bit higher than normal on Monday. So she could very well be seeing progress. First and foremost, like clients like this, I'll push them to take weight at least three times a week, first thing in the morning, after using the bathroom, before eating or drinking anything. So we can see our weekly averages. Are the weekly averages decreasing? And there we don't pay so much attention to like daily fluctuations as long as the weekly average is decreasing. So from there, if the answer is no, then we look to, okay, are measurements decreasing? And this is actually like the order of operations within coaching. Number one is our measurements decreasing. So I have clients measure chest two inches above the navel, around the navel, two inches below the navel, hips, thigh, and right arm. Okay, so have we lost at least 0.25 inches off of multiple measurement sites there? No? Okay, then we move on to is scale weight decreasing, which we already kind of touched on. Okay, still no changes. Okay, has hunger decreased or did progress stop? abruptly. So if this is a fat loss stall from metabolic adaptation, basically the process of your metabolism slowing a bit, getting used to this lower calorie intake as your body shrinks, that will happen very, very slowly. So if like these macros were suddenly work, if they were working very, very well for her and all of a sudden progress just hit a wall, it's a good sign that there's actually, she's just actually accidentally eating more food than she thinks she is. And we'll also see here, like if this is the case, you'll also see that like hunger slightly decreases. Um, so there again, that's a good sign. This is why within the metric tracker that my online clients fill out, I always have you rate your hunger. Because again, if we see like, okay, macros look the same as they did the last three weeks, but all of a sudden you saw no progress this week, 
But we also see that hunger the last couple of weeks was like a three to a three and a half. And this week it's a one. Okay, you're likely actually like there's somewhere in your food diary that more calories are sneaking in. So now I can hop in there and I can see where the issue is. Next is she consistently hitting her macros. So um, here, this is pretty self-explanatory. If the client isn't consistent with their calories, um, then there isn't any way you can give them an adjustment that will accurately like create the changes you want. Next is she measuring food accurately. So then we go through, and this is really like with my online clients, I liked the first couple weeks, literally have them every day shoot me over their food diaries the night before. Then I can look through there and I can see, okay, so I see like you tracked a salad here, but you literally just tracked lettuce. So is there gonna be like some cheese on there? Is there gonna be some oil on there? Is there gonna be some dressing on there? Or like on this chicken, are you gonna have barbecue sauce on that? Anything like that. So it's a good idea to literally talk clients through as well. How do we measure this as accurately as possible? Because again, often people are just... um in the habit of like skipping over these things that seem inconsequential, but even over the course of the day can add up to an extra 500 calories or more. And straight up, like in situations like this, I always push clients to just plan ahead the night before, because if the client goes into the next day, knowing exactly what they need to do to hit their macros, then it's not like this situation where, okay, at the end of the day, I'm trying to remember everything that I ate because more than like, more likely than not in that situation, you're going to forget at least a couple hundred calories worth, if not more. So planning ahead is really like in situations like this, almost always gets clients losing again. So this is always a situation where I'll be like, hey, I want to make sure you're on point. So shoot me over your macro diary for tomorrow. Every night by this time, I'll give it a look. We'll roll from there. That's super, super helpful. Um, next, are they hitting or is she hitting her daily movement goal? So here I would make sure if you don't already have a movement goal established, if you don't have a step goal established, I would absolutely get one set up. Again, as our body, as we feed our body less, calories are energy, right? So as everyone listening to this has probably noticed, your body doesn't necessarily want to lose fat. So one of the things that your body does to try to prevent fat loss as you take in or as it senses less calories, aka energy coming in, is also to expend less energy to maintain homeostasis. So without realizing it, you do a lot less fidgeting, pacing, blinking, things like that. So if you're not accounting for her daily step goal, and again, we can't tell our clients like, hey, make sure you fidget a shit ton, blink a lot. But a step goal, like if she was just tracking her steps and you didn't have a consistent goal, just said, hey, track your steps for the next month, you would consistently see across the course of a diet, steps decrease, decrease, decrease. So having a consistent movement target here really helps with that subconscious reduction in energy expenditure. Um, and I always like to give a macro adjustment at least two weeks. So the next question is, what's her last macro adjustment two weeks ago um, or less or more? Excuse me. What's her last macro adjustment more than two weeks ago? So if that's the case, again, it just takes time. Like if it was just a week, don't I wouldn't adjust yet um we want to again it just takes time for all these things to happen it takes time for a newer intake to compound into a large enough cal caloric deficit across multiple weeks to actually create noticeable changes so i would often be patient here and really in situations like this i'll typically tell people like it should kind of feel like a deficit so 
if hunger is super, super low, there's no hunger present. Now, this isn't at all me saying like you should always be hungry on a diet, but the reality is some hunger is just a part of a diet for most people. So again, like if there's no hunger here, it's likely a sign that she's not actually in a deficit. Whereas like many of my clients, like we've seen this for like a week or often even two weeks, will we won't see weight shift at all. Like my client Seth just checked in today. He had this exact same situation for two weeks. He was stuck at 240. And then all of a sudden we see a big whoosh. But we knew for him, like, okay, measurements were decreasing. Hunger was a three to a four because he's in a pretty aggressive fat loss phase. We knew that he was in a deficit regardless of how the scale was moving. This week his check-in, he was 232. He saw a big ass drop. But again, he had been sitting there for quite some time and anecdotally i can't explain why this is some clients seem to lose inches first and the scale kind of plays catch up a couple weeks later some clients are the other way around it's very interesting and honestly i can't explain the science behind that but in my own experience that's what i found then finally has the client taken a diet break in the last 12 weeks all right so um if this is the case if the client hasn't taken a diet break in the last 12 weeks, it's a good time to implement one. So one to two weeks at maintenance. Um, no metabolic magic here. So we know now like diet breaks don't do a ton in the long term to boost your metabolism, boost your hormones like we initially thought, but they are super helpful for improving adherence. So just subconsciously, again, people let all these little things slip, like you underestimate more, you're not as motivated to diet, so you might not plug as much into your MyFitnessPal. So um, diet break every eight to 12 weeks for most clients is a good rule of thumb. And then past that point is when we make an adjustment. Now that said, you spoke to the thyroid issue. Um, if you if you suspect, like again, that's out of our scope of practice, so we can't diagnose the client with like, hey, you have a thyroid issue. If you suspect that's a problem, I would definitely push her to go get her blood work done and her doctor can get her on a prescription. Um, that said, typically like in situations like this, before you jump to like, hey, you have hormone issues, you have thyroid issues, especially if she's like gotten blood work done recently, more often than not, we can find the culprit in this series of eight questions. Again, are measurements decreasing? Is scale weight decreasing? Has hunger decreased slash did progress stop abruptly? Are you consistently hitting your macros? Are you measuring your food accurately? Um, are you hitting daily movement goals? Was your last macro adjustment more than two weeks ago? And have you taken a diet break in the last 12 weeks? All right, <laughs> as far as that question goes, that is all I have. Next question is, can you explain how to set up a lean gains phase properly? All right, so a lean gains phase, typically, let me just take you through the typical client journey. So, and honestly, this has kind of shifted a lot more because I've been working with a lot more people on like a recomp approach, but typically like when someone will go, want to go through a lean gains phase. So typically this is like the online client that will start coaching with me and their initial goal is like, hey, I just want to see visible abs, right? So here, as opposed to like someone that, hey, I want to chase more of a recomp. So I want to build a bit more muscle and I want to lose fat at the same time. So that's a situation where it would be less aggressive with, um, a lot less aggressive with your deficit, maybe even put you in maintenance or a slight surplus, which again is kind of a lean gains phase. But um, in a situation like this, like my initial goal is just to get lean. Okay, so 
we are definitely going to create a larger deficit. We're going to push you to get lean first and foremost. Now, more often than not, if you haven't gone through a proper building phase ever in your life where you're training, you're training properly and you're focused on consistently eating a slight surplus, you have a large opportunity to drastically change your physique. So this is where we enter the lean gains phase. So many people that come into coaching with the initial goal of like, hey, I just want to get super lean. Often when we get there, and I've experienced this myself, if you've never gone through a proper building phase, you'll get to that point and think, shit, like I don't look exactly how I expected here. Most people find they don't have as much lean muscles as they want. This is true for women and men alike. And so you don't look as however you want to define it, shredded, toned, defined, whatever word springs to mind here. The reality is a lot of that look this aesthetic look comes from having a good amount of lean muscle on your frame. And again, that's true for men and women alike. So the gaining phase, and honestly, I've gone away from calling it a gaining lean gains phase. Typically, I just call it a building phase, um, is geared towards, okay, we're going to feed you more. You're going to be following a smart training program for months and we are going to just focus on building as much lean muscle as possible. So that next time you get lean, you'll likely be anywhere from five to 10 pounds heavier than you are currently because you've added a good amount of lean muscle to your frame. But realize that even if we just get back, get you back to this point, so let's say you currently have 20 pounds of fat on your body, even if we get you back to this point where you just have 20 pounds of fat on your body, if you have another five to 10 pounds of muscle on your body, you will look significantly leaner. Your physique will look a lot different. So for most people that either A, don't love how they look when they get as lean as they want, or the level of leanness that they want to achieve isn't sustainable for them. So like when you finally look the way you want, you just feel like shit. Hormones are bad. Libido is through the floor. Um, training performance is terrible. And it's just not a point that's sustainable. In either way, a building phase like this is the answer. Because again, next time you get lean, you won't have to lose as much body fat to look as good or better than you do currently. So we're kind of raising that floor of how low you can sit. So next time you will feel it should be more sustainable because again, hormones will be in a better place because you won't have to get as lean to look the way you want. Or if we're talking specifically about like the pounds of fat on your body. So when you go into a lean gains phase, here, training and nutrition are both a big piece of this. Honestly, if anyone comes on for body recomposition or for a building phase, I very much push to let me take over both your training and your nutrition because they're both such big pieces of this. If your nutrition is on point, but you're not following a smart training program, and I can't see that you're progressing week to week, it's so much harder to know if you're actually making progress. So First and foremost, make sure you're following a smart training program. Um, very much you want to focus on because we are feeding and fueling more. You want to focus on weekly progression on a set-by-set -set basis, which is something I've talked about a lot on this podcast. So basically, for clients in a situation like this, I would assign a relatively broad rep range. So let's say like, okay, for your back squat, we're working in the 5 to 10 range. For your dumbbell shoulder press, we're working in the 8 to 12 range. And every week, I want you to, as we decrease RIR across the course of a mesocycle, so basically across this course of a training phase, typically like we'll do 3 RIR, 2 RIR, RIR, 1 to 2 RIR, 1 RIR, 0 to 1 RIR, deload, and start the process over. 
And that's like across the course of six weeks, five, four to six weeks. It really depends on the client. But um, here, okay, I want you to look at your performance last week. Okay, what did you do? Set one of your back squats last week. Set one of your back squats this week. I want you to try to either add a bit of load or add another rep from last week's performance. And typically for most like intermediate to advanced clients, adding a bit of load every week just isn't realistic, but most people can add a rep, especially with this RIR progression. So following a smart training progression like that is very, very important here to get the most out of the gaining phase. And again, is why I push most people that are chasing either a proper building phase or body recomposition to let me take over their training as well as nutrition because it's just such a big piece of the bear uh, of the equation now from there we're typically pushing to gain about 0.25 to 0.5 percent of body weight per week so here um and this typically freaks people out especially if as a client i literally just got done talking to a client through this actually laying out like okay here's the plan from here to march so don't at all stress the fact that the scale is going up that's exactly what we want but typically like this is a situation where a client has gotten super lean for the first time so okay now we're gonna actively push the scale weight up a bit that idea is scary for most clients at first which is really as a coach like i'm constantly talking clients through this but the process just works so damn well so again we're aiming for a slow rate of gain because if you are not, okay, we know you're at maintenance or in a slight deficit, right? So there's no way that you're losing fat right now, but that means if you're not gaining weight, then you're not adding any muscle to your frame because muscle has weight. So we do need to see a slow rate of gain. We don't want to do the classic dreamer bulk where you're just gaining this shit ton of weight, like two to three pounds every week. For most people, like for many women that I work with, this accounts to, okay, maybe you're gaining a quarter pound every week. Like it's a very slow process, but also that's just the reality of being an intermediate to an advanced trainee. Um, for most people in general, I'd say men and women, it's anywhere from a quarter to three quarters of a pound per week is what we're pushing to gain. I'd say just in general, for most women, it's about a quarter pound per week. Most men, it's about a half pound per week. Um, so, And then we're just pushing for that rate of gain, making sure that training performance is good. We want to look for low hunger, low cravings in your biofeedback within your accountability tracker that all my clients fill out. Again, keeping a close eye on training progressions, good recovery, good training performance, and good sleep. And really, those are the biggest keys to it. And often this process will go on. I push clients to commit to at least four months of this. And honestly, that's a very short gaining phase. Now, the idea of like, hey, you're going to commit to six to 12 months. And realistically, for many people, it's more like eight to 12 months of this building process is kind of daunting. But realize that like if you're someone that's trained for a long time and you feel like your physique hasn't changed much after like your first two years in the gym, this is very likely what you're missing. If we go through, because most people haven't done this, we're like, hey, the single goal here is just to build a lot of lean muscle. And again, for women and men alike, this is very true. I have a bunch of women that I'm coaching through this process right now. Um, so from there, again, this is typically a six month to a year long process. We're just focusing on building, 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 building. 
When you get to the point where you feel a bit too fluffy, we'll go through a quick mini cut. And I made a post about this not long ago with my client, Kathy, who she had what I think we had pushed her for five months. She was gained. She was feeling a bit fluffy. So we went through, it was a super quick mini cut. It was like a four week mini cut. And then what I believe she bumped all the way up to like 132 from, which not realistically not that much gain, but I think she bumped up to 132 from like 124, right? And then like immediately she had done a photo, she gotten super lean for a photo shoot. We transitioned to her to a lean gains phase. So we had a picture of her like a month after the photo shoot. Last time she was 126. And this picture of her from five months later, after going through a long period of gaining and then a quick mini cut, like once again at 126. And it was so dope to see the changes. She was at the same weight, but her body composition was drastically different. And like, again, for her, she's back in the building phase. Um, so truly for most people, like this is, this is the piece that you're missing for actually achieving the functional and aesthetic body that you want long-term. So again, it's typically just, okay, for anywhere from, I'd say typically every three to five months, we'll take a four to six week mini cut where we're pushing for aggressive fat loss. Again, just four to six weeks. It's such a short period of time that we don't have to stress about losing muscle mass. So we can be a lot more aggressive. The goal here is just to get fat as fat off you as quickly as possible and then get back to productive gaining. And really we just rinse and repeat that process. Same rate of gain for again, anywhere from six to 12 months. Then clients will typically go through a longer cut. So two to three months will be a little bit less aggressive within the mini cut, but we'll be pushing to get you a lot leaner. And that point is where you finally achieve the physique that you've been chasing long-term. All right. And as far as um, the lean gains phase goes, that's pretty much how you lay it out. All right. So final question of the day, what to do if you struggle to feel a muscle working? All right, so for me personally, one of the biggest things that's held me back in the past was spending too much time trying to feel a muscle working. Really, the reality is like, it's much more about, am I putting this muscle in a proper position for success? So basically, if we look at like, let's take the quads, for example. So many clients that I work with, and me myself, actually let's use biceps because this is a super glaring, like personal example that I can talk through. So after I hurt my shoulder for quite some time, there was a long period of time where I could just never feel my biceps when I was doing curls. I was so frustrated on it or fr- frustrated about it, but I eventually looked at, okay. So, and like, I know for me, I would like, okay, I need to go lighter. I'm really going to focus on taking this as slow as possible. Really try to squeeze my bicep as hard as I can and really just try to feel this guy because I should have some mind muscle connection there, but I would never leave the training session feeling like I had disrupted the muscle at all. Um, I never got a pump. It was never sore at all. None of our significant indicators of progress. Now, not at all saying to chase soreness, but some disruption there is a good sign that you did something, right? So I eventually kind of created from the coaches that I've learned from this checklist of, okay, instead of focusing on the mind-muscle connection, we know one, how can I put this muscle in a position to do as much work as possible? So for your bicep, we know, okay, the role is elbow flexion, right? So basically pulling your fist towards your shoulder. So 
now, how can I take my bicep muscle? How can I train this movement, I should say, through the greatest range of motion possible? So here, this is, and this is why I talk constantly about like, okay, do your movements have start and end points with my online clients? So one thing most people will realize is they're cutting range of motion a bit short on movements like this. So now every time I do a bicep curl, I flex my tricep at the bottom to make sure my elbows are fully extended. I touch the bar to my, like the arch of my nose at the top. Those are my start and end points. So I'm making sure every rep from the first rep to the last has a very full and consistent range of motion. Next, and like that's another important thing here, not only like the start and end points, but are you super consistent with your range of motion? Because again, like I could say, okay, I'm focusing on progressive overload over just feeling the muscle. But if every week I'm adding a rep or I'm adding a bit of load, but also my range of motion is getting shorter and shorter every week, I'm not actually making progress. So you need those consistent start and end points. This terminal consistency, just quote my current coach, Steve Hall, um, to make sure that you are actually progressing week to week, right? Next, it makes sense to be as explosive as possible on the concentric portion of the moment of the movement. So here, think like as you're pulling the barbell towards your nose, it makes sense to be as explosive as possible. Because the thing here is our fast twitch fibers have a much greater propensity or a much greater ability to grow than your slow twitch muscle fibers. But if you're raising that bar super slowly, just trying to feel the muscle, you're gonna be activating less fast twitch fibers, more slow twitch fibers, and you're also gonna ingrain this pattern in your nervous system that basically when you do this, you fire more slow twitch fibers, less fast twitch fibers. So it makes sense to be explosive on the way up. Now that said, you shouldn't be lifting such a light weight that you like smack yourself in the face, anything like that. And then lower slowly. Now you don't have a have a specific like, okay, every time I do this, I hit a five count, but it is a good idea. Okay, this our consent or excuse me, our eccentric, the lowering phase of this lift should be probably somewhere from two to five seconds, right? That's gonna create, we know that the eccentric portion of the movement is gonna create a bit more muscle damage, which we know again has a strong correlation to building muscle. So as far as tempo goes, that's important. And then finally, considering the last two, okay, so my terminal consistency within each rep and my tempo, am I hitting my RIR target? So am I truly taking this to one rep short of failure, two reps short of failure, whatever that is? And then is my form pristine as good from the first rep to the last rep? Now that said, of course, like it is a very much a challenge to not like kick your hips into it for a little bit. For example, when we're doing a bicep curl, but am I maintaining great form through the entire set? And for me personally, for every muscle group that I've struggled to feel in the past, biceps, quads, back, when I apply this almost instantly, it is like, fuck, like my biceps now are smoked after three to four sets of curls. Same thing with back, which is another very common one for most people. So if you look at things like that, it truly changes the game. I think for many people, the most common issues I see are just with the terminal consistency. So one, maybe not focusing on like really taking the muscle through a full range of motion to the point where it's really stretching and controlling that negative portion of the lift, 
or two, cutting the top half of your movement short um, as you like get closer to failure or the bottom half, either way. But very important things to think about. I promise you, if you just focus on those instead of feeling the muscle, you will get the outcomes that you want. All right, guys, and that is all I have for you today. If you took value from this, do me a huge favor. Take a screenshot of this podcast on your phone right now. Share it to Instagram on your story. Tag me. I want to connect with you. And thank you for sharing this and really helping me grow the reach of this show. All right. As always, I appreciate you all. Thank you for tuning in.